From Jeffries and Gimlet Creative, this is Invisible Forces, a show about the unexpected factors shaping the global economy and our future. I'm Erin Shea. I'm from the Capital Intelligence team at Jeffries. And I'm Shannon Murphy. I'm the head of equities content at Jeffries. Last week, we heard about leaps in biotech that are changing lives and how the sequencing of the human genome has put us on a path to see even more breakthroughs. I think investors that are covering healthcare and are seeing how the landscape is changing and has changed over the past really any period of time, five years, 10 years, 15, how can you not be optimistic? If you haven't heard it, be sure to go back and listen to that episode after this. In this third episode, the forces propelling consumer value beyond price points. We're looking at why consumers now have different relationships with everything from laundry detergent to camping coolers to high-end jewelry. They're making value judgments through a new lens. And we're going to talk to experts about the invisible forces behind these changes and why it's important for brands and retailers to respond. It's where are my products coming from? What is the company that makes these products stand for? And am I part of something? With us today in the studio is someone who spends a lot of time thinking about the societal factors that shift consumer behavior. Jeffrey's analyst, Randy Connick. I used to be a specialty retail analyst. Now I'm a consumer lifestyle and growth platforms analyst. I cover fitness companies, apparel companies, luxury companies. The fact that Randy's job title has changed in the past decade, from retail analyst to consumer lifestyle analyst, says a lot in and of itself. It highlights how brands are attempting to speak to consumers more holistically. This is because there's a lot of money at stake. Accenture reports that American millennials spend about $600 billion a year. By 2020, that number is expected to hit $1.4 trillion of U.S. retail spending power. And while we hear a lot about millennials, they're not alone. Gen X, though the smallest generation by number, has nearly $2.5 trillion of spending power. And how those dollars are spent, more than ever, taps into an individual's core beliefs. Randy says those beliefs have been shaped by extraordinary changes in the last few decades. We've moved from the roaring 80s and 90s where people were buying, you know, BMWs with reckless abandon and just paying up for everything and just showing off your wealth was a big deal to more about the Great Recession taught us to think smarter about our money no matter how wealthy we are to we're moving into another realm of value, perceived value, with thinking about where are these products being produced? What do these brands stand for? And what do you think are the drivers that are causing this next shift? I think it's you know, the idea of people are starting to recognize that nothing lasts forever. It's this idea of the earth is more fragile than we thought. There's just much more than just being all about me. We went out and talked to consumers about this very thing. It brings us to our first invisible force, increasing social and environmental consciousness. A fascinating place to explore this trend is in the diamond industry. Compared to the past, consumers want a lot more answers before they pull out their wallets and commit to a stone. Case in point, 34-year-old Scott Brugman. He went all out when he proposed to his girlfriend, Samita. Oh man, it was crazy. 
it was a interactive murder mystery scavenger hunt throughout San Francisco. It was awesome. I totally like project managed the whole thing out and had like this huge five page Google doc with all my friends on it that were helping me like assigning tasks and duties. At the end of the scavenger hunt, Scott presented Samita with a diamond ring. The sparkly stone at the center was grown in a lab from a piece of graphite. Just a few years ago, hardly anyone was seeking out this alternative. But here's what's mind-blowing. In just five years, the lab-grown diamond market has grown to almost $2 billion. One expert who follows this space expects it to grow by 22% a year. So we're talking about a $5 billion industry by 2023. For generations, the natural diamond has been perceived as a rare and precious stone. And now, in a really short amount of time, consumers are seeing an adequate substitute in lab-grown diamonds. You get an idea for why this is happening when you listen to a young consumer like Scott and hear what's important to him and his partner. My fiancé is very, like, socially conscious and wants to know where the diamond came from, how they get there. I'm very, like, more environmentally conscious. Consumers have demanded more sustainable products for a while, But within the past year, they've really started to put their money behind what they value. According to Nielsen, in 2018, consumers spent close to $130 billion on sustainable everyday products. Things like packaged foods, toiletries, and over-the-counter drugs. And that's only going to grow. The same report shows that millennials, more than baby boomers, are also willing to pay more for items they perceive to be environmentally or socially responsible. And that's what's interesting about this conversation. It cuts across many different products, whether it be sneakers to uh, yoga pants to diamonds. We're seeing, you know, many companies that we cover that are really thinking about sustainability, thinking more thoughtfully about the environment, their, their waste footprint. And they are aware or keenly aware that the consumers are looking at that stuff. And you see companies taking off that are built, for example, on giving shoes or socks to someone in need every time you purchase a pair yourself. This is the kind of thing that people are seeking out, something that aligns their purchase with what's important to them. When Scott and his fiance went shopping for a diamond, this is exactly what they did. They looked for a stone that would align with their values. And what's interesting is that they didn't even know anyone who had a lab-grown diamond. Samita discovered the option on her own. This brings us to our second invisible force, access to information. This generation's comfort with finding everything they want to know online has an impact on almost every sector out there. I think what's interesting is, let's say decades ago, consumers weren't armed with the information. People have more awareness of other things or the ability to research what the brand they're looking at or the product they're looking at is. According to Nielsen, People who shop for sustainable goods are 67% more likely to be digitally engaged. So these first two forces really go hand in hand. And often, as you research a product or company, something else comes into play. Look, value is also in the eye of the beholder. They may not care if the diamond's real or not. They do care about, is this brand or, or product or service authentic? It's like you're making a great distinction. What are the things that are changing about how we think about authenticity versus being real, you know, a real burger. 
doesn't have to come from animal protein. It can come from protein that's synthesized in a lab. Is there a changing dynamic between how we think about things that are authentic and things that are real? I think that the meat example is pretty good in the sense that, or just thinking about this, what gets people excited about Beyond Meat is the story of the founder. This brings us to invisible force number three, the desire for authenticity. People's perception of what's authentic is changing. So I think what's interesting is, is authenticity doesn't have to necessarily mean heritage in terms of being around for 200 years or more. I think really what consumers are starting to really change in terms of their what they're connecting with is stories that are real. So whether that's real meat or plant meat, I'm not a meat analyst, or whether it's diamonds, people are really connecting with stories of authenticity. Again, doesn't necessarily have to be heritage of 200 years, but just interesting, unique stories. The natural diamond industry recognizes this and is working on telling its story to a new generation. The diamond dream is what you feel when you hold or give or receive something that's 3 billion years old. This is Jean-Marc Liberaire. He's the CEO of the Diamond Producers Association. They handle diamond marketing on behalf of the eight largest diamond producers in the world. And it really brings us back to where we come from. It brings us back to the origins of life on Earth. And when we say that to the younger generation, they actually relate to it much more strongly than uh, when we tell them that they've got to have a diamond uh, for their marriage because that's something they've got to do, which is a little bit the trap that the industry's fallen into uh, over the past few years. This is why the Diamond Producers Association is taking a new approach in their latest marketing campaign. The message is real is rare. In other words, buy a diamond because it's precious, not because of any social convention. The truth as I see it, is that while the diamonds still are you know, highly desirable and, and attractive, including for younger consumers, it has lost some of its meaning, some of its emotional meaning. And in many instances, we find that is very much associated with social conventions, with rituals like the ritual of marriage, for example, or the ritual of gifting, and that is something you do because a diamond is forever and it's a symbol of a forever commitment, but it's not necessarily something you really feel strongly about at an emotional level. What I think is, is worth noting is that the depth of the emotional connection is, is not what it was with previous generations. This is what Randy's getting at. Companies are beginning to rethink how they communicate value to consumers. And I think at the end of the day, what these companies are trying to do is just form more closeness, form a relationship uh, that's emotional rather than transactional. I think brands have figured out, hey, we need to create a, an emotional connection here because a transactional connection, you buy something, you leave. An emotional connection, you buy something and you keep thinking about that product or service. And that's really where things have gone to another level with brands. Randy says an authentic story becomes part of the value proposition. What's interesting today, I, I've noticed, is brands that form emotional connections, brands that have stories that are thought to be authentic, can build heritage in a compressed amount of time. 
Think of the huge growth lab-grown diamonds have seen in just the last five years. We also talked about this with Barbara Kahn, a marketing professor at the Wharton School of Business. She says that man-made diamonds still need to convey a sense of luxury in order to retain their value. And obviously, if you produce too many of them, they're not exclusive, they're not luxury anymore. You've really reduced the price people would be willing to pay for them. And a lot of these man-made diamond people are not trying to make the diamonds too cheap because that would undermine the whole industry and themselves as well. She also says that when it comes to authenticity, simply having a brand name that's been around for a long time doesn't hold the sway it once did. Take the success of the company Brandless. It doesn't have a brand label or logo. Instead, its packages are sparsely designed. A pouch of almond butter only says almond butter. Body lotion is simply labeled body lotion. But of course, Brandless in and of itself is kind of a brand, you know? The simplicity in its offerings have quickly taken Brandless to a valuation of over half a billion dollars. This idea that you don't want to pay too much money for fake marketing dollars, I do think is a, you know, zeitgeist or it's a trend. People do feel like I don't want to waste money on marketing dollars, but I will be willing to pay for product quality. I will be willing to pay for sustainability. I will be willing to pay for companies that do the right thing by their employees. So it's a new kind of brand. Brandless is just one example of millennials' new relationship with brands. One marketing research firm shows that 60% of this generation prefers to spend money on generic brands rather than name brands. That is, unless the brand offers them something more meaningful. Not only do consumers want to see their values reflected back at them in the products they buy, they also want to feel connected. single biggest driver of consumer taste that you're paying attention to right now? Is it that curiosity? Is it multiple things? The thing that's really interesting to me is the concept of community. That brings us to our fourth invisible force, the desire to be part of a community. So brands need to, you know, not just make a great product, not just you know, fortify a great brand, but they need to kind of pull people in, you know, through a community-based strategy. So one company that does this very well is uh, Lululemon, right? They, they call it the, the sweat life, right? People that just work out, want to feel good, look good, whatever. You know, their whole, they're building a community through that idea of the sweat life. And they have yoga clubs, run clubs, which helps a consumer think positively about the brand because they're part of a, a community. Brands are trying to build long-term relationships with their customers. It allows them to not only get information, but also serve up personalized experiences and services. And the way brands build community is, in part, through credibility. Randy says another example of this is Yeti. They sell coolers, but do they? I'm not a hunter. I don't fish. I don't ride in a rodeo. I'm pretty boring, I guess. But I'm interested in someone riding a bull or someone fishing or climbing a mountain. You have to have some buy-in from, or you want to have buy-in from perceived experts or leaders in that said community. With Nike, it's you want the marathon runners wearing your products. With Yeti, you want the fishermen using your coolers. With mountain gear companies, you want the, the top mountaineering alpine-ist using your 
pickaxes or whatever. So a utilitarian product becomes so much more. Yeti's even hosted a touring film festival featuring outdoor experts. Again, it's really about communicating authenticity and inviting people to participate. And I think brands are figuring out that if we can create positive experiences for people, you know, where other brands can't, we have the ability to stay with them longer in terms of driving a better lifetime value and a more connected, engaged consumer. To tap into over a trillion dollars in spending, companies have to appear dynamic and in line with how consumers today and down the road are going to be assessing their products. I think companies, what they're doing today to kind of keep their brand relevant is making sure they're not just their products are being innovative uh, and edgy, but they're attaching their brands to giving back and causes and, and, and certain things like that. Again, so that consumers can identify with the brand beyond a one-dimensional nature. So people want to think through, you know, because again, people are more educated and more thoughtful about their purchase behavior now, is they're thinking about these things on a two and three and four-dimensional basis. Which builds on those four factors. Environmental and social consciousness, availability of information, conveying authenticity, and building communities. Next time on Invisible Forces, AI and financial services. It's pushing the industry forward and providing totally new value propositions. But first, you have to earn people's trust. If you don't have these things going forward, you won't be competitive. You just won't be as fast. You won't be able to be as efficient. You won't be able to scale as well. We have to augment intelligence with the insights from machine-generated algorithms. Listen up for that. And if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. This episode was produced by Emily Foreman, Carrie Ann Thomas, and Jorge Estrada. Our senior producer is Matt Schiltz. Our editor is Renita Jablonski. Music and mixing by Marcus Begala. Additional mixing by Katie McMurrin. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Zach Schmidt is our technical director. And production help from Ricky Navetsky and Soraya Shockley. Special thanks to Moshe Diamant, Leila Kiswani, Michael Fitzgerald, Hiran Goti, Paul Zimniski, Scott Rugman, Samita Singh, Jean-Marc Lieberherr, Barbara Khan, Alyssa Osipoff, and Katie Christensen. See you next week. Jeffries, the full-service global investment banking firm headquartered in the U.S., focused on serving clients for more than 55 years, is a leader in providing insight, expertise, and execution to investors, companies, and governments. The firm provides a full range of investment banking, advisory, sales and trading, research, and wealth management services across all products in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. 
This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. This is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. It may be based on subjective assessments and assumptions and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. Participation of a research analyst in this podcast does not mean that any Jeffries entity accepts any authority, discretion, or control over the management of the listener's assets. Any action taken by the listeners of this podcast based on the information presented is at the listener's sole judgment and risk. The listener must perform his or her own independent review of any investment discussed. The price and value of any investments referred to herein and the income from them may fluctuate. Past performance is not a guide to future performance, future returns are not guaranteed, and a loss of original capital may occur. No responsibility is accepted, and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given in either case expressly or impliedly by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based, or the use of any of the same. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, agents, or representatives will be liable for any direct indirect or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, taxation, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction, and is not providing any advice as to any such matter. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.